0: together this morning to worship God. We're glad for those of you who are visiting with us, and of course all of our members, we're glad that you're here as well, and uh, hope that this time of uh, worshiping God has certainly uh, glorified him, but also uh, has encouraged and edified each one of us as well. Wouldn't it be nice if you could predict the future If you had the ability to predict the economy 10 years from now, 10 years from today, wouldn't it be great so that you could make the perfect plan to maximize your retirement portfolio? Or wouldn't it be great if you could predict or someone could predict the location and the time of the next tornado or hurricane or other natural disaster so that proper preparations could be made and that uh, property damage and injury and human life could sustain as little damage as possible. Wouldn't it even be great if we had the ability to be able to predict what people will say and how they will react in certain situations? Well, of course we recognize that there are a number of things like these that we cannot predict, but It is true that there are some things that are predictable and the reason is because they are absolute truths that are unchanging that God has revealed for us in the pages of his word. One of those truths that I'd like for us to talk about as we begin our study this morning is the fact that the world in which we live is wicked and will always be that way you know that the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 19, uh, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. And a few verses before that, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, John said, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as the world and the world hears them. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, you remember that the Bible says that God looked upon man and that the heart of man, every imagination of man, was only on evil continually. So God sent the flood. We fast forward generations to Judges chapter 17 and verse number 6 where the Bible says that there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And as we read through and study that book, we see example after example and illustration after illustration of the wickedness of people in this world on perfect display. Even later in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse number 15, the Bible says that my people have forgotten how to blush. Now we're talking about Israel, God's people, and that passage, and the fact that they had become so callous to sin that it literally did not bother them anymore. It is absolutely true that the world is wicked. And we should not be surprised whenever living in this world that is engulfed with wickedness, we should not be surprised when the world acts like the world. It's predictable. We can absolutely predict the fact that ungodliness and worldliness and sin and wickedness will always act like ungodliness and worldliness and sin and wickedness. But there's something else that should be predictable and that is the way that we conduct ourselves as we live here in this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 17, the Bible says in speaking about the wickedness, the sinfulness that is around us, the Bible says that we are to come out from among them and be separate. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 14, the Bible talks about doing everything without murmuring and complaining so that we uh, can shine forth as lights in this wicked world. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 16, the Bible says that we are to let our light shine before men so that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. We're talking about predictable righteousness in a world that is predictably unrighteous. The world is wicked, that's not going to change anytime soon, but God's people, God's people are not. And just as the wickedness of the world, the unrighteousness of the world can be predicted, so the righteousness of, of god 's people who live in the world, that righteousness should also be predictable. We know that whatever happens we 're going to obey god 's will that 's predictable with the people who are around us, the people that we uh, who are in our family or those that we work with or see on a regular basis. It should be the case that our character is so steadfast that they know the same. No matter what happens, that person is always going to do what God says. And no one exemplifies this better than Daniel. And so we're going to look this morning at Daniel, and particularly the event that happens in Daniel chapter 6. If you haven't opened your Bibles there just yet, I would invite you to do just that. Predictable righteousness In a world that is predictably unrighteous. You remember in Daniel chapter 6 that we now have a transition from Babylonian rule to Persian rule. And we've gone from Nebuchadnezzar and his son uh, Belshazzar now to Darius the Mede or the Persian. And here Daniel is still under this new rule, under this new dominion, and his character is going to be put to the test. In fact, it is because of his character that he will be put to the test in Daniel chapter 6. And yet because, and yet rather, his righteousness remains predictably steadfast look with me in Daniel chapter 6 verses 1 to 9 where we read about Daniel's character Daniel chapter 6 verses 1 to 9 we have a display of this predictably righteous character of the prophet Daniel the Bible tells us that it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one and uh, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. So the king is dividing the government of his kingdom in a neat, ordered arrangement, and Daniel, the Bible says, is part of this arrangement, but the Bible will go on to tell us that Daniel distinguishes himself in verse number 3. More about that, and it is because of this distinguishment, because of it, verse number 4, That the governors and the satraps, they're trying to find some charge, some some thing that they can wage against Daniel. We don't like him. We don't like him ruling over us. We don't like the treatment that he gets, so we want to remove him. We're looking for a charge against him. And they say, aha, we found it. In verse number 4, there is no fault to be found in him because he was faithful. But, verse number 5, we can find something against him because of the law or concerning the law of his God. So their idea was in verses six to nine. Then we'll go to the king and we'll say, "King Darius, live forever." Verse number six, and we'll we will convince him. We will convince him to establish a law, to establish a decree that anyone who gives any petition to any god for thirty days, except for him, that that person is going to be cast into the den of lions. And Darius says, "Sounds good to me." So he signs it. He puts it into law. That's Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Now back up and zoom in on what we read about Daniel in verse number 3. Why is all of this taking place? Why is it that Daniel is put into a position of power? It's because of his character. What does Daniel do while in the position of power? His character pushes him to greatness. And what is it that causes his enemies to seek charge against him and convince the king to, uh, to put this law into existence. It's his character. So what is it? Look at verse 3. Daniel distinguished himself because above the governors and above the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. Now I want you to look at that term, excellent spirit. It's the idea of an exceptional spirit or rather exceptional qualities. So when you think about qualities that are exceptional... Christian qualities, those things that are to be found in someone who is a child of God. What things come to mind? A positive attitude, a good work ethic, work ethic, respect, reverence, godliness, kindness, kindness in his speech, fairness in how he rules and how he treats other people, and on and on the list could go. The Bible says that Daniel, in this statement, that an excellent spirit was found in him, what the Bible is telling us is that Daniel possessed this character of exceptional qualities, like a great attitude, and like a good work ethic, and like kindness, and all of these other things. And here's the thing that you have to remember about the character of Daniel as described in this passage. This isn't anything new. You see, this is the same Daniel who began, listen, by the time we get to chapter 6, Daniel has been in Babylon for approximately 40 years. Daniel has spent approximately 40 years serving in the palace, first under Nebuchadnezzar, then under his son, and now under the Persian, the Medo-Persian ruler. And from the very beginning... The Bible Bible tells us that Daniel Daniel was uh, straightforward about who he was and about where his allegiance would lie. Daniel chapter 1 and verse number 8. Remember how the book starts. The Bible tells us that Nebuchadnezzar saw fit to take certain choice individuals from Judea, and among that number are Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He desires to teach them in the language and in the ways of the Babylonians. He desires to feed them a Babylonian diet, and Daniel says in Daniel chapter 1 and verse number 8, no, I'm not going to do it. The Bible says Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. In Daniel 1 and verse number 8, what the Bible tells us about this man is that he made a decision, and his decision is the same decision that every person in this room should also make, and it's this. Whatever happens, whoever's in control... Whatever is requested of me, whatever is demanded of me, I absolutely, under no circumstances, will compromise my allegiance to God, my faithfulness to his word, and my integrity as a child of God. It began with a decision. Chapter 2, you remember, verses 12 and 14, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he calls in his astrologers and soothsayers and says, listen, tell me the dream and tell me the interpretation. And they say, uh, you tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. He says, no, I know you're fake. So he sentences all of them to be put to death, including Daniel and his friends among that number. Daniel hears about it in 2 verse 14 and following. And Daniel says, Listen, give me an audience before the king and I'll tell him his dream and I'll tell him what it means. And he does just that. And at the end of this chapter, Daniel chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, the Bible tells us that Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar fell before his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. And the king answered Daniel and said, Truly the Lord, Your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings. Daniel saved lives by interpreting the dream. And in interpreting the dream and saving lives, Daniel also brings glory to God. This is because of a decision that was already made. Daniel chapter 1 and verse number 8. By the way, notice as you read through the book of Daniel that Daniel instructs us very well on how to engage in what we always call civil disobedience. Here is Daniel in the king's palace and Daniel is commanded by those who are in charge to do something and how does Daniel approach it? Daniel approaches it respectfully. Notice how many times he refers to the king as "O king." It's like saying "your honor" or "Mr. President." "O king," there's respect. Notice that Daniel always makes with respect his case, like in Daniel chapter 1 and verse number 8. The king said, I want you to have this diet, and Daniel says, respectfully, I don't want to do this, and here's why. And then after making his case, he offers a solution, and the solution is, you let us eat Well, we're going to eat for a certain amount of time, and if it turns out to not work, then we'll bow to your judgment." Daniel is respectful. Daniel makes his case with respect. Daniel offers a solution. All of these things are part of his character, and his character is seen in every instance in the first half of the book of Daniel, even in Daniel chapter 5 where we're reading in Daniel chapter 5, not about Nebuchadnezzar, but about Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's heir, the king who has made a feast for thousands. And the Bible tells us that he sees writing upon the wall, and it troubles him. And in verse number 11 and 12, there is a, it, the queen says to him, Listen, don't be troubled because there's a man in your kingdom and who is the spirit of the holy God and in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. What's happened now? We've gone from one king to the next, and yet Daniel's reputation, well, it still precedes him. So by the time we get to Daniel chapter 6, and we read about this, we read this statement about an excellent spirit, an excellent quality, excellent disposition being found in Daniel, it really shouldn't surprise us because Daniel's character, Daniel's righteousness, has been the primary emphasis since the very beginning. In fact, his character is so consistent that his enemies can only find fault with him in his righteousness. Daniel chapter 6 and verse number 5. My friends, this is exactly what the Apostle Peter had in mind when he talks about in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, if any man suffer, let him not suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him glorify God on this behalf. In other words, suffering for the sake of suffering is not righteous suffering at all. But suffering for the sake of the kingdom, suffering for the sake of God, suffering because of a steadfast, predictably righteous character, that's something to rejoice in and something to glorify God for. So now, as we think about Daniel and his character in this plot that is arranged because of his character, in the first nine verses of this chapter, it forces us to look in the mirror and ask ourselves about our own What about my character? What about my righteousness? How predictable is it? Do you know that God always expects demonstration of our proclamation? And I'm confident that every soul in this room is not ashamed to proclaim or at least has proclaimed at different times in their life, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I'm a child of God, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, yes, I read and study and follow and obey what the Bible teaches. God expects demonstration of our proclamation. Are you the same person at work that you are at home? Are you the same person away from your fellow Christians that you are when you're with them? Sometimes we treat Christianity as a social experiment. Clean speech on Sunday and profanity on Monday. Modest dress at the church building but dress like the world at the grocery store. And on and on the list could go. But what the Bible teaches and what we learn from Daniel in this chapter and in this section is that we're going to have to be the same person every day, 24 hours a day, regardless of where we are or who's around us. The Bible will also refer to that as integrity in First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. It's the idea of always doing what's right. And listen, what we learn from Daniel is that we cannot be hypocrites, that people around us ought to be able to predict our righteousness just as much as we can predict the world's worldliness. Daniel's righteousness is predictable. What about mine? Look at the next section daniel chapter 6 verses 10 to 17 here's daniel's response daniel's righteous character puts him in a position of power a position of authority and causes him to excel but that same character also causes his enemies to lash out against him and seek to destroy him and so therefore they convince the king make this law and he does And the law says, if anybody bows and prays to any God except for you, he'll be thrown in the den of lions. In verses 10 to 17, we read about Daniel's response to that. And his response is nothing more than resolve. Notice the Bible says, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and he prayed and gave thanks to God, uh, as was his custom since the early days. Then these men assembled, and they found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God, and they go to the king, and they said, King, have you not signed a decree that everyone who positions uh, any god or man except for you within 30 days will be cast into the den of lions? And the king says, Yes. And so they answer and say, well, guess what? This Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, he does not show regard for you, O king. He has made petition to his God three times. The king is greatly displeased when he hears these words. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, but he cannot deliver him because the law of the Medes and the Persians is such that when it is stated, it cannot be changed. It cannot be undone. And so... The king is forced. The king gives the command, verse number 16. They bring Daniel and they cast him in the den of lions, but the last statement is notable. The king spoke to Daniel and said, Your God, whom you serve, notice this, continually, he will deliver you. In this section, as we read about Daniel's response, again, we see nothing more than steadfast resolve. Notice that the king takes note of his character at the end of the section. In fact, the king is so confident in his character and so confident, it seems, in the God that he serves that he says, listen, the God that you serve, and notice how he defines it, continually. I wonder if the king, if he knew me, could say, you serve your God continually, food for thought. The the God that you serve continually, I know that he will deliver you. Do you know... Daniel, when he was challenged, he didn't run and hide and he didn't back away from the challenge. The persecution of his enemies was not something that was going to force him to compromise his conviction or compromise his character. He didn't even shut the windows when he prayed. He left them open. He prayed three times a day, exactly how he always had. Now the question that we have to ask ourselves from this section is that when my character and when my faithfulness and commitment to Christ Jesus is challenged, how am I going to react and what am I going to do? Am I going to go into my room and shut the doors and windows and hide or am I going to keep them wide open and am I going to practice godliness and righteousness and faithfulness just as I always have? Daniel didn't fold. So therefore in verse number 18 through 23 we have Daniel's salvation. The Bible tells us in verses 18 to 23 that the king goes to his palace and he has a hard time sleeping that night. He woke up very early in the morning and with haste he went to the den of lions and when he came he cried out and spoke to, he cried out to Daniel and uh, Daniel cries back and said, "O king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him notice I was found innocent before whom before him do you remember a passage Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10 some of you will be tried and be cast into prison but be faithful unto death and the Lord will grant you a crown of righteousness do you know the idea of that passage as being faithful even, in, even while you're staring death in the face? Isn't that what Daniel was doing? But notice the common tread. Daniel makes a decision to be righteous, Daniel 1 verse number 8. Daniel's righteousness is seen in 2, 3, 4, and 5. And when we get to 6, it's Daniel's righteousness that causes him to excel. Daniel's righteousness that forces his enemies to seek to destroy him. And it's also Daniel's righteousness, if you will, that results in his deliverance. Daniel says, I was faithful before, that's not before the king, I was found faithful to God. Why was he found faithful to to God? Because he was steadfast in his resolve. You know that 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9 says that the Lord knows how to deliver the righteous from the day of persecution. And each and every one of us ought to read this section and and read these passages and we ought to have this resolve, this steadfast, not just resolve, but this joy and really a peace in our minds knowing that really it doesn't matter what happens. The Bible promises over and again that if I will simply be faithful to the Lord, then the Lord is going to take care of me. And then in the last section of the chapter, verses 24 to 28, we read about Daniel's praise. We have his character, we have his response, we have his salvation, and we have his praise. And you'll notice that in this last section, the enemies of Daniel, they find themselves and their families cast into the den of lions, and we have the king who says, listen, now I'm making a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom... Men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel because, excuse me, he is the living God and steadfast forever and his kingdom is the one which will not be destroyed and his dominion will endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. What a transition. In the beginning of this chapter, we have this king allowing himself to be convinced that no one can pray to any little g god except him. And now at the end of the chapter, notice that he is the one that is placing his emphasis on God. He is the living God, not me. He is steadfast forever, not me. His kingdom is the one which will not be destroyed, not mine. His dominion will endure to the end, not mine. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, and he delivered Daniel. I didn't do any of that. But Jehovah did. Daniel's God did. Now notice how honor is given to God. This isn't the first time that this happens. It happens all throughout the book. And in fact what we see is in episode after episode we have Daniel and or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being steadfast in their faithfulness to God, God delivering them from the circumstance and the result is that the enemies, the people who are causing the problems, end up on their knees acknowledging and recognizing the power and the greatness of the God of heaven. Do you remember the passages with which we, with which we started? Matthew 5 and verse 16 let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and that they may glorify your Father in heaven. This book is Matthew 5, 16 on display. First Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9, the apostle Peter says, live your life. He says, live a beautiful life. Live your life honest among the Gentiles so that when they see your good works, they may, uh, which they will behold, they may glorify God in the day of visitation. The idea is that live your life in such a faithful way that the faithful Christian life becomes beautiful and it becomes attractive. And so those who are on the outside, those non-Christians, when they see that life, they'll be attracted to its beauty. And that attraction may very well prompt them to say, I need to be a Christian too. It may very well prompt, prompt them to obeying the gospel You see, God's Word teaches us that steadfast, predictable righteousness, not compromise, is what points people to the Father. And so if I am interested in letting my light shine, and if I am interested in evangelizing my friends and my family members and helping to point people to the Father, helping to point people to the cross, there's no better way of doing that than simply living Faithfully every day of our lives, so that the world can predict our righteousness just as much as we can predict the world's unrighteousness. That's predictable righteousness in a world that is predictably unrighteous. This world is not our home, as we often sing. We are in the world, but we're not of it, and we cannot be surprised when the world acts like the world. But the world shouldn't be surprised when we act like Christians either. Now the invitation is offered, and it may be this morning that you are not a Christian, not a child of God, and perhaps it's the case that you desire to become a Christian, to obey the gospel of Christ, believing in the deity of Jesus and repenting of sins, confessing faith and being immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, that God may add you to the church. You have the the opportunity this day to do just that, and we stand ready and willing to help you. But now maybe you're a Christian and as you think about this context of the book of Daniel this idea of predictable righteousness can it be said of you that your righteousness is predictable and if it were the case that the people around you were trying to find something for which they could something for which they could make some charge against you the only charge that they could find would be because of your righteousness because of your faithfulness does that characterize you if not why not If your life is not what God would have it to be and if righteousness in you is not predictably seen by those who are around you, then make it right. We'd love to pray with you and help you to do it. Come forward and let your need be known while we stand and sing together.